Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Gospel Saving Church. Good morning. Thank you for all, all for joining us and taking time of your busy day and busy life to come and hear the Word of God and and listen. And thanks be to God for His awesome worship that we just had and awesome time of fellowship that we just had. And I thank God that we're even alive here to live another day and I can serve Him and come to know more and the riches of His glory. If everybody would please turn their phones on silent before we start service officially. The title of our message today is The Beatitudes, Part 2, Attitude. So let's pray for service, and uh, as we begin, we'll open up with a word of prayer and just thank God officially for us being here. Uh, thank you so much, dear God, for bringing us here again today. Father God, I pray that you would anoint this message. As my brother prayed before we started, Lord, thank you. Uh, Lord, I, I pray uh, that you would anoint our ears. That as we hear, Lord, we wouldn't just be hearers of the word only, but we'd be doers. As your word, as your word says, blessed is not the hearer only, or hearer, but the doer. The hearer and the doer. So, Lord, all the things that you tell us in your word are not just for us to hear, Lord, but they're for us to do after we hear. So, Lord, I just pray that you would bless us as we listen to your word. And protect us all today here from the enemy's attacks. As the enemy will come in and attack us. He's going to try to work in our minds. And he's going to try to distract us, Lord. Satan, who we know comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And I pray that you would just bind him right now, Lord God. That he would not be able to affect or touch or distract anybody that's listening to this message. Wherever they may listen to it. App, whether from the website or podcast or from here right out of our little church I pray you protect us all and may you be blessed and honored because we're here together gathered together fellowshipping of the saints we love you and praise you dear God and we thank you we just ask these things in Jesus mighty name Amen so if you want to turn to Matthew chapter 5 we're going to be in verse 4, going through verse 12. We're going to cover all nine Beatitudes today, just quickly what they mean. But before we read, as I said during prayer, we're going to have a little bit that God laid out my heart to put, you know, to tell us all about attitude. Because our whole service today is going to be upon attitude. Attitude is the word that the Lord gave me this week for this week's message. A focus on attitude. You may say, what about attitude? When somebody has one, well, it's, it's really a negative thing. It's really miserable. Attitude. Well, in today's society, the word attitude has become synonymous with negativity and bad. 
And how many times have we heard or said of ourselves, they're in a bad mood, or man, that dude has a bad attitude, or I'm just in a bad mood. You get it. It happens all the time. We might even just think it. We don't have to say it out loud. We might even just think it. Think of that person. Man, why are they in such a bad mood? Oh, well, that's attitude. But believe it or not, the word attitude, according to dictionary.com, only means manner, disposition, feeling, or position. Remember that definition as we talk about our whole, as we talk about all we're going to talk about today. Now, someone's attitude could be good or bad, great or miserable. Generally, what happens to people is they let their circumstances dictate what their attitude or what their mood is going to be like. I have to fight this one all the time. Something bad happens to me, somebody says something to me, and all of a sudden I get into a bad mood. I'll get into a bad attitude. It's something i got to get better at every day. In reality, kind of a popular speaker teacher, Chuck Swindoll, he said this, Life is 10% what happens to you and 90% how you handle what happened to you. This quote speaks volumes to me. I hope it does to you. And it is really 100% true. When that person that we're driving along the road and they cut us off, we have the right to take that invitation to get angry at that person or not to. When someone on, I work in retail, and when somebody comes up to my place and they start talking with me, if they're angry about something that's happened in their day or they're in a bad mood or they're in a bad attitude about what they've been through, something maybe on a shopping experience, it's up to me whether I take what they say and get into a bad mood and so on and so forth over what they did to me. It's my decision. I have a good friend that said, somebody told him a long time ago that anything that happens, you could have an invitation to get angry. An invitation to get angry. We don't have to take that invitation to get angry, but a lot of times, like I said, I struggle with that one. I do. When these bad things happen to us, we will usually develop some kind of bad feeling inside us, possibly. And this we may or may not be able to control. But it's just a feeling, usually. <clears throat> but from point of their action against us, to our feelings getting involved, we have the choice whether to get mad or angry, to get into a bad mood, and to start to have a bad attitude, and what, what happened to us, and, and, and what happened to us, and even lash out against the person that did it, or even a lot of times when something bad happens to us, I'll notice that, you know, in my case, something bad will happen to me, and I'll take it out not only upon maybe the person that, that did it to me, but I'll, I'll lash out at a good friend, or I'll lash out at my family members, or something like that. Or, we could take in what happened, that 10%, and the 90% that's our response, you'd say, could be to just blow it off, and be Christ-like about it. We don't have to get angry about it, or we can. It's our choice. All the while, though note, it's all attitude. Which attitude will we choose to have? A good one or a bad one? So speaking of our word attitude, 
as we go over through the Beatitudes in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3 through 12, we need to look at Jesus' message to us, and let's look at how attitude applies to Beatitude and what Jesus taught. So let's start in verse 3, Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And I'm going to read them slowly, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to focus on the type of person that this person is that when we listen to this beatitude. Verse 3. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You could say, kind of person you could think of, would be somebody, a broken-spirited type of person, not, uh, not, not prideful, a very humble person, very humble, somebody that's real, you know, easygoing. They don't, they're not, they don't think they're God's gift to mankind or anything, just very humble. Verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So think of mourning, you think of sadness. But the Bible's talking about those that are going to be comforted are those that mourn over their sins and other people's sins and even their sinfulness. Those that mourn over their sin and over their sinfulness, God will comfort that person. Verse 5, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The meek is uh, lose your life in God, losing yourself in God. It's not about me. The person says, I don't matter. I don't really matter. It's not, it's not about what I deserve or, well, what my, uh, what, 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 what's coming to me. It's, uh, you know, I, I'm on the back burner. I'm, I'm last. Verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So here we have hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is righteousness but God's word? God is righteous. God's word is righteousness. Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Are we hungering and thirsting for his ways and his holiness? Verse 7, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Merciful. When somebody comes to us and they're in a terrible trial, or they're going through something, we may not have gone through that same trial. We may not know how that person feels because, let's say, it's a person they haven't lost their mother yet, but somebody comes and they, their mother just died. Well, we don't know how they feel, but we can be merciful to that person and understanding, okay, choosing to be compassionate to that person for what they've just gone through. And not just showing, not just kind of saying a word, but showing that person that compassion as well, too. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God, verse 8. So Jesus said in Matthew 18 that unless you become converted as one of these little children or have faith as this little child, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. 
We'll look at verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. A person that's pure in faith and pure like a little child will see God in everything. They'll see God in the way that their floor is designed. They'll see God when they look at the trees. They'll see, oh man, God's in that. There's no way that, oh wow. They'll see God when they look at the universe. How can we all just be spinning balls of dirt just hanging there? Oh, that's got to be God. It's childlike faith, just trusting, pure in heart. Verse 9, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Well, Christ is peace. And His Word is peace in our hearts. His Word is alive and living, sharper than two-edged sword. Oh, blessed are the peacemakers, those that are trying to bring others unto that peace that only is in Christ Jesus. Blessed are the peak peacemakers, those trying to bring others to that peaceful relationship with Jesus. Verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. These are being persecuted because of the righteous lives that they choose to live. They choose to live lives of holiness. Not lives of corruption and wickedness and evil, but they're choosing to live lives of holiness and pureness. And then finally, verse 12, Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is someone that chooses to live for Christ, someone that chooses to be a Christian, someone that chooses to face persecution when somebody comes up against them because they are living for Christ, because they exalt the name of of Jesus Christ. So this is someone that's choosing to face persecution because of Jesus. Now remember what I said about attitude, right? What was the definition of attitude? Again, disposition, feeling, or position. Disposition, feeling, or position. Okay? Did you notice as we read those Beatitudes that every one of those Beatitudes was an attitude? Every one of those Beatitudes was a position that someone could take. One of the definition parts of attitude was position. Pretty amazing. So Jesus said, in our, my words, if someone would take those type of attitudes, they would get all those promises and eternal blessings. Obviously, for etern eternally, we're going to be blessed with him forever. And be blessed and happy now. But remember last week we talked about those blessed ours are not exactly blessed ours according to my flesh. They're not blessed are me and then, oh wow, I'm going to feel great or 
All right, I'm like, man, woo, I'm going to feel good about these things, these blessed are, I'm going to, and I'm going to feel great when they revile me. Oh, woohoo! Man, I'm going to, that's going to be awesome when they persecute me. Mm, man, that's, that's, I can't wait for that. I'd love to see God, but to have pure faith, I mean, come on, really. I mean, yeah, what about evolution? Uh, you know, it, anything can distract you of that. Now, these attitudes that Jesus also told us that we could take are also one thing. He also noticed that he didn't give much, only but one or two of them, upon, like, for instance, blessed are the poor in spirit for those of the kingdom of heaven. On most of them, he didn't say, are you going to feel blessed and because you're poor in spirit when somebody attacks you or is mean to you on your everyday basis or cuts you off in a car? He said, that's the way we ought to live no matter what anybody does or how anybody treats us. So, these attitudes are not easy attitudes or positions to take. They go against many things that society and worldliness show us and teach us. People at the core, generally, the Bible says this, and you see it around you if you have open eyes, are selfish. And society and people in the world show us selfishness. Selfishness. You know, it's all about me. What about me? Why aren't they taking care of me? And at the core of each beatitude is what? Selflessness. It's not about me. It's all about God. It's not about me. I, I want to go to heaven. So go back to the Beatitudes with me for another few minutes. And we're going to read the opposite of each Beatitude. And tell me if you can't see this in the world around you. So blessed are the poor in spirits. Remember we said that was humbleness and so on. So that would be the opposite of that would be pride. Look at me. Look at how great I am. That's the opposite of humbleness. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Don't worry. Be happy. Isn't that a song? Isn't, it, isn't that what the world says? Just be happy. Oh, life is good. Just be happy. Isn't that what the world says? No mourning. There's no mourning over what you do or anything you see. Just be happy. Oh, come on. Just... You know what? Yeah, you only get one life. Just be happy. Don't worry about nothing. Blessed are the meek. Remember that was the not about me, all about God. How about, what do we see? It's all about me. That's a big one. That's why our country has 70 plus percent divorce rate. Because husbands and wives don't know what it means to say, it's not about me, I'm going to live for my spouse. And the spouse says, I'm going to live for my spouse. It's not all about me in marriage, it's, or it is all about me in marriage. It's not about what do I do for my spouse? How do I bless her? How do I love her? How do I treat her nice? How do I treat her good? Oh, she wants me to do that. I am not going to do that. That's, that's not what I plan to do today. That's a huge one. This one here, blessed are the meek, another opposite is no compromise. No compromise. It's my way or the highway, baby. No compromise. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. So what's the opposite of righteousness? Lust. Thirst for sinful, ungodly things. What do we see in movies today? 
What do we see on the internet today? What do we see on video games today? What is all sinfulness? And let me tell you, folks, it's all selling. Holiness isn't selling. Ungodliness is selling. So you can sit there and think, well, I don't thirst for sinfulness. And I mean, I know, I don't. But what are you watching? What are you reading? What are you listening to on the radio? Because if you bought it and it's not godliness, it's unholiness. And did you buy it? Absolutely. You bought it. You lust and thirst for sinful, ungodly things. That's the opposite of blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Verse 7. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. What's the opposite of that? Mercy? Get over it. Get over it, dude. Come on, man. Pull up your bootstraps. Pull up your britches and get through it. Come on, man. Suck it up and get over it. I, pfft, mercy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, everybody wants uh, everybody wants uh, them to feel sorry for them. That that's that's what we see. That is what I see. There's very few people that are, "Oh, I'm so sorry to hear about what happened to you." Opposite. No understanding for some things that people are going through. Verse 8, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. So pure in heart, what's the opposite of that? Deceitful and evil imaginations of mankind. Look at our world today. Look at the things that people are coming up with in our world today. Look at all the evil that's out there in our world today. That's the evil imaginations of mankind. That's no pure in heart, I can tell you what. That's not being pure in heart, the things we see. And blessed are the peacemakers. Look at the people that cause trouble today. Look at the people that so-called say they're doing it in the name of God and then they're going and killing people and bombing buildings and things like that. Where's the peace in that? Wow, there's no peace. Troublemakers. In verse 8 and 9, kind of they, they run together. Blessed are the, uh, blessed are the peace, uh, excuse me, 10 and 11. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness and blessed are those that revile you for my name's sake. I just want, man, what's the opposite of that? Man, I just want an easy, peaceful life, man. Leave me alone. I just want to be all about me. I don't want to suffer at all, man. I want to live an easy life and have a great job and have no problems. Now, especially, that's how they feel about their own selves. Especially, how would people look at it when you say, yeah, man, be persecuted for somebody else? Are you kidding me? People don't want to suffer for their own selves, let alone suffer or be persecuted for somebody else and here we see here we have yeah, blessed are you when they persecute you for jesus let alone i don't want to be persecuted for me now i'll be persecuted for jesus ah that ain't jumping off that ain't happening it's really easy to see the opposites played out in the world all around us so you might be saying why God really expects me to live that kind of life? Are you kidding me? Are you serious? Come on now, really. This may be the way to heaven, but what about all those fun things I will miss out on while I'm alive now? And what about all the garbage I'm going to take for out from other people for living that kind of life? Come on, man. What's my motivation here? What's my motivation? You know, like a like a actor or a star might say for a movie, you know. Oh, what's my motivation here when they're asked to play a real difficult part or something like that? What's my motivation here? What's my motivation? Why should I live that kind of life? Are you kidding me? Each one of these Beatitudes goes against our natural 
person. In and of ourselves, naturally, we, our flesh wants to live, people's flesh wants to live the opposite of each one of those behaviors. They come natural. Deceit. Anger. It's all about me attitude. It's all natural. That You don't even got to try and live those ways. Those are all just natural. So, by the way, if you haven't guessed it, the first teachings of Christ here in these Beatitudes are really the trademarks of what a real follower of Christ should look like. And in case you didn't know already, I'm going to be the first one to inform you. Maybe you already probably knew this. But the Christian life is H-A-R-D. It's hard. It's hard to say on a daily basis, I'm going to put away all the things of me and I'm going to live in these beatitude type of ways. These beatitudes are teachings of self-denial, humbleness, unselfishness, godliness, holiness, and etc. And these are the basics. We're not even to the rest of the chapter. We're not even to the, all the teachings of Christ at all. You will see. It gets even more mind-numbingly hard as we get to the more of the chapter when Jesus said, yeah, live this way, live that way, live this way, live that way. It's in fact so hard that Jesus said several different times in the Word, many times, to those that desire to follow Him, that they must deny themselves, pick up their crosses, and follow after Me. He also told people that they need to count the cost, that they need to look at what it means. Okay, look, hey, he said, look at what how I want you to follow me and see. Check it out. It's hard. You better count the cost before you decide to follow and then turn back because it was just too hard and difficult. You might say that the Christian life is the road less traveled. It's the road that very few people actually say, I want to go out of my way to live those type of ways. So why would someone want to live these Christ-like, self-dying ways? Here's why. When we look at the whole New Testament in the context of the New Testament that was God coming, making a new covenant with man and doing something new for man and what He did for us, and how he went about doing that, we see, we see fallen and sim sinful and evil and wicked mankind. We see God enthroned in the heavenlies. We see God looking down and we see him saying to himself, people, are in a lot of trouble. They're lost. Jesus looked out at the people and He looked at them and He said, they're lost like sheep without a shepherd. They're lost. People are lost. So what did God decide to do? He decided to step out of eternity. Out of perfection. Out of holiness. No corruption at all. It was God and His holy angels and those that had already made it, you know, or those that had, you know, kind of were in, uh, 
Abraham's bosom that he knew were there. And he decided to step out of perfection. And he decided to wrap on human flesh. And decided to come here and face all the same things that we face every day of our lives. All the sin that came against him. All the evil that's in the world. We don't see Jesus alive for very long and what's happening to him? Satan's attacking him in the wilderness for 40 days. Throwing every temptation known at man. No more than we know now. More, more than that at him. He did this while you were evil, while I was evil, while all the people alive or that it would ever live and that whatever had ever lived knew that they were evil. He decided to come down and walk amongst us and teach us the ways of God in first hand. And that wasn't enough because God said, I want to make a new covenant with man. The old covenant of bulls and lambs and goats and so on, that's not good enough. I need to make a new covenant with man. A new covenant because I want to show man how much I love them. So what did he do? He took on our sin and went to the cross and died for our sinfulness and our wickedness and our evil. And he didn't have to. He didn't have to. God could have chose to do nothing. And he still would have been righteous in doing that. He didn't have to come and do that. But he chose to. He took an attitude when he saw a man and he said, I need to do something. I love people. So he chose to step out of perfection. He chose to go to the cross even though the Bible says, cursed is anyone that hangs on a tree. So anyone that was hung on wood would be cursed. He chose to take a curse for you and me and everyone that's ever lived on the earth and everyone that will ever, ever live on the earth and be cursed even though he didn't sin one time and he didn't die for his own sins, but he became a substitute so that he could die for us. That's why people can take a stance, a position, and an attitude to live the kind of life that he said to live. But because when we examine what Christ did for us and the price he paid for us, how could we not take that position? Remember what I said about attitude and when somebody's mean or evil against you, it's easy to lash out and, and, and attack others that are around you because, you know, I was hurt and, and after all, now I'm in a bad mood and rah, I'm going to get you because I, I hate what that guy did to me. We did those kinds of evil against Christ. And look at how he responded to us being evil and doing those evil things against him. 
He gave up his life so that we could have a relationship with him now and eternal life with him later. He gave up his life toward our evil. He chose to give up his life even though we were evil, even though we sinned against him so that we wouldn't have to go to eternal torment, so that we wouldn't have to go to hellfire which we would have been right to go to. We deserved to go to hell because of the way we live. Because of the sinful lives that we lived, we deserved to go to hell. And if you don't think you've sinned, let's just go through about maybe four of the Ten Commandments because there may be, well, I'm, I'm a kind of a good person. I, you know, I really haven't done that. I really haven't done that much wrong, you know. Well, Jesus said, the Bible says in the Old Testament, in the Ten Commandments, that thou shalt not commit adultery. So any man or woman sitting here, any man or woman listening to this, if you've ever looked to lust after another human being, means I want that person. Lusting after them. Jesus said you committed adultery with that person in your heart. Take a few more. Any of you, I know I have, unfortunately, use God's name in vain. Oh, God! G blank. Absolutely. Ten Commandments. Honor your father and your mother. I know I could. I should have been struck dead for the way I treated my mom and dad when I was young. Evil. No, honor, dishonor all the way. I'm guilty as charged. Any of us ever stolen? Absolutely. Stolen. I've committed, I've committed, I've, I've committed, I've, I've stolen things. And have you ever coveted what anybody else had? Oh, man, look at that car. Oh, man, oh, that's a nice car. Well, I wish I had that car. You just coveted. Now, that's just one, two, three. That's just about four or five. There's ten big ones. And if you want to get into it, there's hundreds of laws that God said don't break. So we've all committed these sins, plus more. And if you say you haven't, you're a liar, because I know I have, and we're liars if we said we haven't. So since we all have, this would be like, uh, imagine this, this would be like punching God in the face while spitting on him, while kicking him while he's down, while taking a knife and stabbing him in the gut, because the Bible says that all sin is against God. So anytime you sin, that sin, even if you may sin against somebody else, that sin, the Bible says, is against God. Now, the whole, imagine the whole time you're doing these evil things to God by living your sinful life and sinning the way you want to sin and the way you want to live. Christ is there, and the whole time you're doing this, He's telling you how much He loves you. But I love you, oh, as you're kicking Him in the groin. But I love you, my son. And He's praying for you. God, please, oh, please, God, help, help, not, not, not stop them from living that way, but he's praying for you, going, oh, God, I want them to be saved. I, they don't know any better. And he's asking you, to, he's asking God to forgive you because you don't even know what you're doing. We look at Jesus' response in Luke 23, 34. And in Luke 23, 34, Jesus was on the cross. He was dying a brutal death. 
and he was in agonizing pain and torment and suffering. And it was he was up there for six hours, I believe, suffering on the cross. And the whole time he was there, the excruciating pain was agonizing, brought anybody to their knees, and it was a slow, painful death. So while he's up there already agonizing and agonizing pain and suffering and people are spitting on him and people are mocking him and people are treating him with contempt. Uh, if you are the Son of God, come down from there. Save yourself. He saved others. He can't save himself. So the whole time he's suffering, they're mocking him. What does he say in Luke 23:34? And Jesus said, Father... Forgive them, for they know not what they do. So what kind of attitude can a person take towards someone who gives that kind of gift and shows them that kind of love? Think about that. It's really easy. Somebody's mean to you and somebody's rude to you. It is really easy. We just talked about earlier how it's so natural to lash out or to be mean or to be evil to that person. But when somebody does something kind to you, what do you want to do but respond with kindness back? The following are some random verses. You don't got to turn to them. That Paul the Apostles wrote to Christians in a few churches in the New Testament. And although he wrote them to Christians, they absolutely apply to both Christians and non-Christians alike because they show us what our response should be for what Jesus did for mankind and what he did for us. And we go to Philippians 2, 5 through 8. Where Paul writes, Let this mind be in you, which also was in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. This is God Almighty in the flesh. He was equal with God. Yet he came down and he made himself of no reputation. Taking the form of a bondservant. This is your creator. This is your creator. The one who formed you. And he made himself a bondservant. And he came in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death on the cross. 2 Corinthians 8, verse 9, Paul writes, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, what did we just talk about? He had heaven, perfection, though he was rich. Yet for your sakes, your sakes, folks, your sakes, he became poor. That you, through his poverty, might become rich. That we, although poor, remember what we read last week in Revelation? You are poor and naked and blind. Come to me and buy these great things from me because you're poor and naked and blind. we That's how God sees us, remember? Poor, naked, and blind, just like we talked about last week. That through Him we might become rich. 
And Romans 12, 1 2. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice. How could he say that? How could he say, live this beatitude of lifestyle? Holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is the good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Because Paul saw the love of Christ and he said, though he did what he did for you, look at what he did for you. Serve him, not to be saved, but serve him because you respond to how he's treated you, respond to the love he's given you, and live for him and serve him and make it your reasonable sacrifice. Make it, make it your reasonable service. Why? He saw what Christ did for us. Serve Him because it's your reasonable service. Look what He did for you folks. We can easily see that no matter where someone is, in or out of a relationship with God, if they will just look at the amazing things that Jesus has done for us, especially in light of how we have treated Him, it would be impossible to respond back to God in an evil way. Romans 5, 6 says, For while we were without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. Listen to it again. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. We had no strength in ourselves spiritually. We had no strength in ourselves to live for God. We had no strength in ourselves to be Christ-like. No strength at all. But what did He do when we had no strength and we were helpless and we were poor, blind, and naked? He came and He died for those that were ungodly. Isn't it easy to see how we can make a decision and take an attitude to live in the ways that Christ told us we need to live in? Which, which in turn means that isn't it easy to see how we can turn from our ways, our sin, and take an attitude of, of submission towards Christ Jesus to make Him the Lord of our lives? Isn't that easy? If you belong to Jesus today, make it your aim. Romans 12, 1 and 2. And continue to look at what Jesus did for you and continues to do for you in your daily life. By giving you that blessedness, by giving you that happiness, by giving you the blessings that He's put in your life, by giving you the awesome things that He's given you. And serve Him more and more and more and submit your life and your ways to Him more and more and more and what? And considerable and consider it your reasonable service. If you're His. Stronger. Go more. Go harder. Go more. Consider it your reasonable service. And I have to tell you, when you continue to look at the love Jesus displayed for us, it's easy to choose to continue to live for Christ. If we just keep what He did for us in focus, it's easy to continue to live for Him. Because we, unfortunately, I don't live in sin, and if anybody lives in sin, they're in danger. But if you still commit sin, which is everybody in the face of the planet, nobody can stop sinning because things we do we don't even know. And Christ still died, even though you still committed that sin today. And He still loves you. 
Now, if you don't belong to Jesus, then look at what he did for you and ask yourself today, after what he did for me on the cross to pay for my sins, and what I did to him, and how evil I really am, how can I not respond to God in a favorable way? How? How could I know that I'm evil? How could I know that God is so good? How could I know that God is so loving, ask yourself, and still not respond to Him even though I'm evil? He came and He did all that for me and I was punching Him in the in the I was punching him in the stomach and, and, and kicking him in the face and, and stabbing him with a knife and He still came and did that for me? And if that's you today, what are you waiting for? No one will ever be or has ever been this loving and this kind for you or to you ever or ever again. No one will ever be as loving and as caring and as generous and as soft and is warm and compassionate to you as Christ Jesus was and is and will always be. No one will ever. Jesus said in Matthew 12.30, He who is not with me is against me, and who does not gather with me scatters abroad. This makes you an enemy by your own choice to God. You're an enemy of God if you're not His. But even while you are God's enemy, by your own choice, I can't leave that out because God doesn't want us to be enemies. God doesn't want anybody to be enemies. His words of his enemies on that cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And he wants even his enemies to come and receive that forgiveness and not be an enemy anymore. Even now, God gives you a chance to turn to him and submit your life to him right now and be saved. Even though you're apart from Him right now, He says, come to me. I want to save you. I long to be with you. I long for you to receive my love. Oh, oh, as you're stabbing Him in the stomach, which what you may have done just this morning. Come to me, I love you still. What kind of love is this? That's why there's a great song called Amazing Grace. A man saw how much God loved him. And he said, wow, what kind of love is this? That God could love me even in my sin, even where I'm at, even in the evilness that I live in. What are you waiting for? Turn now. Let's pray. God in heaven, thank you so much for your love. Thank you so much for your grace. Thank you so much for your mercy that you continue to extend out to everybody, whether lost or saved. You extend out your hand of mercy to everybody, wherever they are, whether they're yours or whether they're not yours. I just pray, God, for the people that are listening that are yours, dear God, that they would continue to look at what you've done for them and stay focused on what you've done for them and serve you ten times harder today and tomorrow and for the rest of their lives as they ever have served you before. And not to be saved, but because they are responding to what you did for them. 
which is their reasonable service. And I pray, dear God, for those that are listening that are not yours. I pray, dear God, that you would come to them and just continue to show them how much you love them. And I pray that they would see the sacrifices that you made for us. And stop responding in an unfavorable way by stopping turning their lives over to you and submitting their lives to you because that's what you desire. Not just a, a profession of faith or not just, oh, I believe in that guy or, oh, yeah, Jesus is a good guy. Yeah, I believe in him. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. But, Lord, to look at your love and say, how can I not fall down on my knees like that man in Luke 18 last week where he fell down on his on his face and on his knees and he pounded on his chest and he said, oh God, please have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. I pray, dear God, that that person that's listening right now would fall down on their knees, dear God, please, right now. And surrender their lives to Christ. Not because of anything other reason than they saw what you did for them and how while they were an enemy, you came and died for them taking their punishment that was due them on yourself. And Lord, I pray that they would get saved. We love you and I praise you and I thank you, dear God. And I ask all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.